You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. everybody we're two games into the world series this is crazy uh world series goes from houston to atlanta and truest park for games three through five let's say five right jack mcmullen peter apple arm Layton. we're going all three of us three times this week we just did so as the world series preview we're going to come at you tomorrow recapping the first two games of the world series and previewing what's to come down the home stretch between the braves and the Astros. But first, we've got this special World Series mailbag edition. Yes, we uh, do. Where we took your questions on Twitter and Instagram, and we're just going to answer a ton of them. And a lot of them were World Series centered, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of these questions are World Series centered. There's some off-season stuff. There's some work stoppage stuff that we got to talk about. Um, I guess we could just kick it off, or we could just slightly mention that the Braves are up 6-2. to two. The Braves won 6-2 in game one. Yeah, we're recording before game two. So let's let's go around. Uh, we'll go clockwise. So it'll be me, Aram, then Peter. And we're going to make a totally baseless uh, hot take out of game two before game two starts. All right. So you ready? I'm going to go first. Um, I loved that the Braves came out and just absolutely hammered Jose Urquidy. I mean, couldn't get out of the first inning. Christian Javier did not look like the Christian Javier uh, in the ALCS. And uh, Braves are taking two games back to Atlanta to try and close this thing out. Arm? Well, that you took mine. And that's, I know that's why you wanted to go first, because I almost said Urquidy sucks on the last episode and stopped myself as if that was some terrible thing to say. But honestly... I was surprised at how well Javier did in relief and mop-up duty, and he should have started the game. That's the proof. Javier should have started. It should have been him going four to start the game and then going to the bullpen, which was rested because you got blown out in game one. You could have went four innings there and then two innings with Graveman and two innings with Presley, and then you have the day off. But mismanagement, you started Arquiti, and you were losing again before the game even started. Did you guys see in game two how every single player on every team had a home run and it went way over eight and a half runs? <laughs> that was, that was crazy. crazy. That, that was Vegas crazy. paid you out triple. The game ended 20 to 19 in favor of the Braves. And now the Braves are going up 2-0 back to Atlanta. 20 to 19, highest scoring game in playoff history. Yeah, and Eddie Rosario had an eight hit night. He hit for this cycle twice. Eddie what? Rosario hit for two cycles, yes. Yes, two singles, two doubles, two triples, and two bombs. Both were into the Crawford boxes and left. Yes. Uh, but the, the advantage isn't there now. Now you go to the deeper alleys at Truist Park. So, okay, now we can get into the mailbag. Uh, Pete, you are going to pose the questions because you do a great job of, um, A, posting on Twitter and Instagram, asking people, and Thank B, you. grabbing all the best questions and rolling. Usually, I like to grab as many Yankee questions as possible. Unfortunately, no Yankee questions, just World Series talk. Damn. So let's start it off with a bang. Question number one. With Charlie Morton being out for the rest of the postseason, do the Braves still have the pitching edge over the Astros? Aram, I'll throw it to you to start. Uh, um, you know, it is... It is really tough because I still love that bullpen, uh, you know, that the Braves have had going for him right now. But 
you know, you look at how much we docked the Astros for the loss of Lance McCullers. uh, And now we look at what that means for the Braves. That question could be more properly answered when game two actually happens. Because if Max Fried struggles again, now you have that feeling of almost like, who do we go to? It's Ian Anderson. Like we're counting on the like fake rookie. He's still really young uh, to be able to carry us. I still think it's advantage Braves with, with Ian Anderson and, Max Freed, because I just don't think that there's anything starting pitching wise that matches up with that, uh, with the Astros with McCullers out, but it, it got closer. It definitely got closer, especially with what Morton meant in game one, game four and game seven, if it was going that far, but I'm still thinking it's advantage uh, Braves there in that department. Jack, what are you thinking? I think advantage Braves, but they need to have a couple of guys that haven't needed to contribute, contribute down the stretch. So I think that on paper, the Braves are the better pitching team, but we've made it very clear that the Astros have something that the Braves do not, and that's Christian Javier, a guy that can go four innings out of the bullpen and can be the bridge man from a rough start to the back end of the bullpen that has been dominant, right? The Red Sox had two of them in Hauk and Pavetta. The Astros had the other good example of it in Javier. You know, Shane McClanahan tried doing it in the ALDS, the Braves haven't needed anybody to try to do that. Yeah. So yes, you still have Freed and Ian Anderson, who I think are just objectively a better tandem than Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia, especially after Valdez's game one outing. We'll see how Garcia does tonight, but you said it's a 20 to 19 Braves win. So obviously yes. he didn't do well. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. Two names. Waskari Noah needs to be really good. Tucker Davidson needs to be really good. Tucker Davidson is the lefty that just replaced Charlie Morton on the World Series roster. If those guys, and they both do, have the capability to go four, if one of them can go four and put together a quality four in game four that Morton was supposed to throw in, I think the Braves are set up fine. I agree. You You guys pretty much touched on all of it. The only thing I'd add is the fact that if we're talking about those under-the-radar guys, Jake Rizzi turned in a really good start in Game 1. Drew Smiley has proved throughout, at least against the Dodgers and against the Brewers, that he can be a valuable fill-in, too, for the Braves on that side. So, I obviously, it's a big blow to the Braves, but I still do think that the Braves have the edge in starting pitching, considering how bad Framber looked in his first start. But Framber also didn't look good in his first start against the Red Sox, then came and threw eight innings of one-run ball. So it's tough to tell, Arm, you're going to add something else. It's going to be hard for Huascari Noah to eat innings yeah. when he's not on the roster. Yeah, uh, Kyle Wright is on the roster. Sorry about that. Kyle Wright, Vanderbilt. Yes. That's about it. He was a top prospect. Is he? Yeah, he was. Do you like but... him, Arm? Because I, I, I've always felt that he's just the pinnacle of Kyle Wright is Kyle Gibson. At, at best. Yeah. At best. No, that's why I was raising my hand. I was like... You know, is not there. Uh, but yeah, if he was there, he would really need to come up big because he was a big part of what they're doing early in the year. Uh, Kyle Wright might have to eat innings. I mean, it's going to be all hands on deck because it's not just about what happened to Morton. It's about what they had to do as a result. Minters burned until, you know, you go back home. And, you know, that's a big part of your bullpen. And Morton was the inning eater out of the three of them. Yeah. I mean, even on the worst day, we saw it against the Dodgers, right? Morton... He walked, what, three guys in the first inning? That start against the Dodgers? He walked four guys in the first inning. And he still gave them, I think, five innings or something. He gave them, like, a very good start postseason-wise. We have to adjust the definition of quality start for the postseason because six innings just doesn't happen. If you go five innings, I think, regardless of, like, how many runs are scored against you, that's a quality start. We should give Minter a quality start for what he did in relief uh, for Charlie Morton. So this next question is great because it's a hypothetical and it still makes sense with the pitching conversation. Would you rather lose Charlie Morton for the series and win game one, or would you rather lose game one and have Morton available for games four and seven? Interested to see how much stock you put in game one versus Morton's value for this team in this series. So to just ask that again, would you rather lose Morton for the series but win game one, or would you rather lose game one but still have Morton available? Jack, I'll uh, I'll ask Thank you God. that. 
it's thank the God. tough one. It's, I mean, thank God. It's a good question, though. It's the because, best question ever asked. Yeah. I'd rather, uh, well, Charlie Morton just pulled a Greg Jennings in game one. He was running like on that. a broken fucking leg. Crazy. Uh, against the hardest hitting safety in the league, Jose Altuve, who he's still throwing at. 98 too. Uh, Banger yeah. of a curveball with a good hook. Yeah. Um, I would rather my ace not have a broken leg, but a win in the World Series is a win in the World Series, especially, especially on the road one. in game one. Yep. Yeah, like that's big. I don't feel great going back to Atlanta, getting you set for game four. But if Max Freed comes away with a win tonight, and you'd go into the off day and you've got Ian Anderson on full rest, ready to rev up. I feel okay. I think it really depends how this Wednesday night game two goes. If it's tied one, one, I think I would rather have Charlie Morton around. Uh, But if you're up two Oh, if, if somebody has to be the sacrificial lamb, I bet Charlie Morton would sacrifice himself. He would just come out of the group and be like, you know what? I'm like 37 years old. I'll do it. Arm, what do you think? So, you know, this was such a hard thing to answer that I had to go like into the numbers of it. And a team that wins game one wins the series 64% of the time in the World Series. So you look at it from that standpoint, and it honestly doesn't even help that much because you're like, okay, 14% advantage from that win. Two more potential starts of Charlie Morton is easily offsetting that. Uh, it's, it's really hard. I think getting that win in Houston with how good the Astros are in Houston is so valuable. The Braves were good, really good at home. I loved that magic that they had against the Dodgers at home. The energy at Truist Park was awesome. I think they're going to feed off of it. Ian Anderson and Max Fried are big, big X factors. If Anderson wasn't pitching the way he's been pitching, I would say not worth it. But I got a lot of trust. I know I said, like, you're putting a lot into a a guy that's technically still a rookie. I've got trust in him. And I'll take the win and and go lean towards, you know, those those two guys throwing and hoping that I can get one of the next two. And then you're still in the driver's seat. But it's a really tough one because you figure it goes to game seven. You got the best game seven pitcher ever going for you there. You're hoping that when you take game one, it doesn't go to seven. And I think that's what we're hoping for if, if we're the Braves in this situation. So I'll take the win, but that, that is a really good question. We are see, pretty much I was, the Braves. Yeah. I, I, see, I was going to throw out that same figure, that 64% of game one. I agree. I'm taking the win. You need the win, especially it sets forth such a good, it sets forth such good momentum, right? Going forward, you're the underdog in the series and you win game one in Houston while your starting pitcher goes down, that I feel like is more momentous and might actually build in a World Series rather than a game one loss, but you still have your stud ace. But it's hard because it's like in this hypothetical, is Charlie Morton also now just hurt beyond the series? And we have to deal with a 37-year-old who has a fractured right fibula. And we'll see, like, is that a part of the equation? Are we just talking about the World Series? I think just the World Series for the sake of of the hypothetical. hypothetical. Yeah, I'm otherwise, then it's like, is Charlie Morton permanently damaged? Like, yeah, like, like, is that part of it? <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I also think that knowing the pitching advantage they have in this game, too, and depending on how it shakes out, but I, I, that kind of leans me even more so. Like, sorry, you know, sorry to Charlie Morton's fibula, but and we're, we're going to stick with it. When you heard Ken Rosenthal say that Charlie Morton had a fractured fibula, like, what was your reaction? Sadness. I was just, when he said that, I gave out this audible, like, oh, God I did the same thing, Jack. Like, oh, no. Well, first, I picked him as my World Series MVP (laughs) if the Braves won. But that doesn't matter. What matters is his health. And especially a guy like Charlie Morton, such a likable guy. You saw he apologized to the Braves for breaking his own (laughs) leg and then going out there and throwing 16 pitches, striking out Altuve. Like, what a dude. I love Charlie Morton. I I'm hope sorry. He, I hope he pitches into his mid-40s. He might. He's got the stuff to do it. He might. To 98. All right, next question. Umpires have been under fire a lot this year for a lot of bad calls. But the hot topic in the playoffs 
was a lot of shaky calls went to the Dodgers and not to the Braves or the Giants. Do you think it was on purpose or do you think it was a coincidence asked by little DJ228 on Twitter? Jack, you have your hand raised. Little DJ228, it is entirely coincidental and there is no sabotage coming from the inside against for the Dodgers against the Braves against you know anybody like there is these umpires are cross-checked every move they make these guys cannot get away with anything uh that was not the case in the 80s in the Big East when these refs were getting slipped a hundred dollar bills and it was like hey make sure Boston College wins this basketball game on a Tuesday night against Villanova uh but in the MLB postseason in 2021, you are not going to get away with non-coincidental cheating. Well, like, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think the frame of the question, though, is like MLB memo, like help the Dodgers. No. I agree. I agree. And the thing is there is most of these umpires are so you think Joe West is going to listen to an MLB memo? Like he just sucks because he sucks. <laughs> That's true. Not, like, Angel sucks because he sucks. To an MLB memo. That is such a good point. <laughs> Joe West would be like, "Kiss my ass." I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is with umpiring is at least in the past year. Or so I don't know how long this um, Instagram page has been up or Twitter page. Umpire scorecards. They it's do fantastic. a great job of giving you the full zone where guys missed, where guys hit. And I feel like if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have been able to go so in-depth into these umpires. But I feel like the talk in the playoffs is why are there umpires who may have been around the block, may have been there for 30 years, but why are they getting the home plate job when they're not the best at calling balls and strikes? Shouldn't it be? And this isn't in a hot take. This just should be how it is. Why can't we get, you can test all of them, you're using the umpire scorecards. We have the data. Test who are the best at calling balls and strikes and keep them behind the plate. The guys who are the best at calling outs on the bases, keep them on the bases. I, I have a serious problem with that, Peter, and it's it makes too much sense. It makes yeah. too much sense. Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing here? No, Why you- have a worse product <laughs> for to make Joe West, of all people, happy? Peter, baseball and 1984 by George Orwell are the same thing. Uh, you, it is illegal to be smart. <laughs> like you are not allowed to think sensibly. Um, umpiring should be merit based. Yes. It's not. It's it's age based. It's yeah. What is that? It's it's the college professor getting tenure, and as soon as they're tenured, they stop giving a shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. You have so much job security. MLB umpires have more job security than any other position in the sport. Any, any other, I think any other position in the world. In the world. I mean, you know, maybe. Like one of them. I and mean, maybe. besides the Supreme Court justice who gets their job for life, I feel like next is umpires. And, yeah. and despite that, and despite that, you have guys like Angel Hernandez who are objectively terrible at their job suing MLB for discrimination because of his, the fact that he's Cuban. And yet you're going to reward him. <laughs> I think they don't want to get sued again. I don't know. As somebody who is uh, quarter Cuban and, and a ton of, of of family members, I know that that was a topic at, at my house. They got such a kick out of that. They're like, "Wait, what? <laughs> He's suing because of what? <laughs> because it's it, it, that's the one background that is like dominates baseball, yeah. and, and that just kind of shows you the level of entitlement I feel like these, these umpires have is." they're like, I've made it here. And, and I, I will say, I mean, it, it's a climb and it's a grind and those guys have worked their asses off to get there. But just because you got there, like Jack says, the tenure, it doesn't mean you can just coast at that point. Sure. Maybe you can coast and you can keep your regular season job, but if playing in the postseason is a privilege, umpiring in the postseason should be a privilege and it should have to be earned. And, and for whatever reason, that's not the case. And typically we do see it earned, especially with the world series. When you see the umpiring crew there, it is based on how you did that year. So we don't have some of those notable pimples in the umpiring world. Like Angel Hernandez is not working this world series. Um, The one guy I think that was like kind of questionable 
on this umpiring crew is Tom Hallian, but Tom Hallian is just a good umpire. Like he's, he's good. Does he have some bad games every now and again? Yes. But like Dan Bellino, good umpire. A lot of these guys, really good umpires. So I don't, I don't really worry about this world series crew in particular, but I've said this on the podcast before. This is just my final thought on the umpiring thing. Not only do they have insane job security, but they're also incredibly defensive because yeah. everything they do is under the microscope and that's tiring. So yeah. when those guys are finally fed up, they got to go deal with it the next day. That's the thing about being a major league umpire. You work every day. So but, if you get pissed off on Tuesday, Wednesday, you're going to be an asshole. Jack, you couldn't have worded it better. Like you just couldn't have. But and the last thing on the umpires, they have the hardest job in the world. You can get 99 calls right, but that one call is going to be magnified on, especially, especially in the World Series. So on one side, give them a break. On the other side, don't. You decide what you how you want to act with the umpires. Next question. Does the MLB start the season on time? This season with the MLB and the MLPA being so far apart, asked by it's Daniel Anderson on Instagram. Guys, we're almost certainly due for a work stoppage come December 1st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern or December 2nd. Are you guys worried? Jack, what do you think? Let me kind of lay the foundation before we get into the worry. Yeah. Um, with what is going, with what are going to be the hotly contested topics. Yeah. Um, there is just a fundamental disagreement between the players and the owners, but that is not new. Uh, it happened all the time in the eighties. If you look at the timeline of work stoppages and strikes within major league baseball, I mean, it was very common. It was every time the collective bargaining agreement was up in the eighties. Uh, we've gotten out of that. We were really close to one in 2016. I don't think a lot of people remember how close we were to a labor strike in 2016. Yes. 94 is the year that everybody points to, right? Um, now, this year is different because I think there are a lot of just very um, unfair things that haven't been addressed in a really long time. And I think everybody is, has decided that it's time to address them. I think the biggest is service time manipulation. Um, so unfairly holding down a guy like Chris Bryant in 2013 before he can make his debut, um, or it might've been 2014, or holding down um, you know, a, another top prospect when they're just so obviously ready. Another factor of that is adjusting service time. It takes a really long time to hit free agency. A really long time. That's got to shorten it's probably got to shorten to hit arbitration too. Yeah. So what the players want here is a shorter timeline. They want to make big money quicker. The owners, they probably want a salary cap because they don't want to spend much money. The players don't want a salary cap. They want a spending floor. The owners don't want a spending floor. There's a lot of disagreements. It all has to do with money. And the overwhelming majority has to do with how quickly players can make more money. Aram, as a... Marlins fan, a team who doesn't like to spend. What are your thoughts on the salary floor, the salary ceiling, all this kind of stuff? What are your thoughts? You know, in theory, I thought the salary floor was an exciting idea. Uh, I thought Ron Cox, you know, who's going to be our CBA guy throughout the entire offseason for just baseball.com, wrote a really good piece about how it was somewhat of a farce because of the way that it would have to be attained and what would be given up by players for that to happen. And, and a lot that goes into it. I would love the idea of a salary floor, but, but what is that coming at expense of? And, and what does that look like? I think that that was almost this little faux offer from the owners. Like, Hey, this is something we'll, we'll, we'll talk about to almost distract from the larger points. And I think that they're just so far apart in so many different areas. And I know Jack talks about the, the, you know, service time manipulation. I don't even know if that's going to end up being one of the main issues because you know what, all of the guys that are, that are making these decisions in the MLBPA, they don't care about that anymore. Just like they don't care about minor league housing, just like they don't care about minor league pay. 
they're focused on themselves. And that's, that's what it is. Maybe a few players care, but at the end of the day, the reason why minor leaguers have been mistreated for so long is because nobody, they don't have a seat at the table. They don't have anybody representing them. And and these players are more focused on, on what, what's going on and how it pertains to them. Uh, So I'm very interested to see what some of the more contentious topics are and why they're so far apart and what the huge issue is. But I feel like a lot of the salary minimum stuff came with a lot of catches. And again, Ron does a really good job. And I think we might have to bring him on to talk about it at some point, because he can really lay it out eloquently about why it will end up just, just also limiting uh, a lot of the ways that free agents can earn because they're going to bring down the luxury tax as well. And, And it just creates this almost fixed market that, I, I think baseball is good because of the free market, but at the same time, it creates a little bit of a lack of parity, but look where we are with the Braves. So it, it's a really tough push and pull. Uh, and being that the Marlins have never spent money, obviously I want to jump on that, but you know, <laughs> what expense for the, for the game as a whole. Not just look at where we are with the Braves, look at where we are with the Astros. I mean, we talked about it last episode. They let Springer walk. Like there is not a lot of high annual value guys on this Astros team. Like, they let all the big guys walk and they still get here all the time. So I don't, I don't know if the parody is the, the problem, like you're saying, Aram. Um, but I mean, there, there has to be something that figures out and some sides got to concede. I don't know which side. What do you think, Pete? I, I'm, I feel like you guys all kind of summed it up. I just feel like people might be worried if we will even have a season next year. And I'm here to say, I think, it's like 99% we will have a season. I think the only thing that this might get in the way of is spring training when guys report free agency, all that kind of stuff. So we might not see because free agents are eligible to be signed six days after the World Series. We might not see that until February. I, I know that agents were already getting ready for a big scramble come the last two weeks of March. Could that happen? We're going to have a crazy off season. Yeah, but remember, we already saw that. We, I feel yeah, exactly. like we have seen the trend of free agents signing later. So We've seen it, but I don't think that agents are getting ready for that. No, 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 no. That's the thing. When I'm hearing that agents are preparing for some colossal things to happen and yeah. for their guys to be ready come March, makes me think, oh, no, I'm a little bit worried, but I'm not that worried in terms of a season actually taking place. Okay, betting line here. I'm going to set the over-under of games played in the 2022 MLB season at 142.5. Over or under? I'm taking the over, and I think they play all 162. I would be very surprised if they don't play 162. No pandemic, maybe I'd not feel that same way, but everyone needs money. People have to come together. The I know they probably don't care about the public perception of all this, but they should because it's going to continue to keep getting worse and worse and fans are going to want to leave the game because they're like, all these guys just care about money. Well, and, and here's a big thing about it too, is, is what was the biggest contention uh, when we were looking at the abbreviated season and what that was going to look like monetarily? It was who is going to pay for the loss of revenue? And they're both saying, no, you're going to pay for it. No, you're going to pay for it. In this case, if there is no agreement and they lose games, they're both paying for it. And yeah. I think that's going to be the one thing that unites the millionaires and the billionaires is the money. Because we and have to all pay. <laughs> that's because they don't want to both lose money. Oh, and don't worry about the concession workers, though. No, don't no, no, worry no, no, about no. the grounds crew. Or no. the minor leagues or anything. Just no. worry, about, worry about which guy gets 15 versus 20 million. Yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> that was a good one. Back to pitching. With bullpens being a huge focus this playoffs, how did the Nationals manage to win the World Series in 2019 with no bullpen? And why can't other teams replicate that? So let Asked me just, by Kazim Hall on Twitter. Let me just give you a rundown because Kazim brings up a great point. Um, let me give you a rundown of who threw out of the bullpen for the Nats in 2019. Um, let's start with the rotation because Steven Strasburg logged 36 and a third innings across six games. So that means he was coming out and throwing six innings. 
Max Scherzer was a guaranteed five. He threw 30 innings flat over six appearances, one out of the bullpen, five starting games. Patrick Corbin threw 23 and a third innings. Anibal Sanchez threw 18. Aside from that, it was Sean Doolittle, obviously closer. He's going to pitch a lot. Daniel Hudson finished off the World Series in game seven. Joe Ross made a spot start in the World Series. After that, Tanner Rainey threw six and two-thirds, Fernando Rodney four and two-thirds, and then nobody else was north of three innings. They did it without having that constant bullpen ace. They had Doolittle to close games out. They could turn to Daniel Hudson in the seventh or eighth when they needed to. But for the most part, it was four guys that they rode. Two of them, world-class. Patrick Corbin was approaching world-class. He got paid like he was world-class. And then all of a sudden, he became the worst pitcher in baseball this year. Uh, and then they somehow got good innings from Anibal Sanchez, an aging Anibal Sanchez. So that's how they got there. They were the antithesis of what is this year's postseason. Yep. That's exactly what, you know, what Jack said is they had starters that actually went deep into games and then didn't have to worry about the bullpen too much. And, you know, they also hit <laughs> and they, they hit and they came up big. But, yeah, I mean, that's what happens when your starters go more than three innings. And that was kind of the magic of the Nationals that year. The fact that they were a wildcard team and won it all the way. Because in the regular season, do you guys know that they had the second worst bullpen ERA that year? Five, six, eight. That's crazy bad. But then in the playoffs, everyone got hot. And in the playoffs, like you said, Daniel Hudson, Sean Doolittle, Tanner Rainey, all these guys got hot. Were they a bad bullpen? Absolutely. But in the playoffs, were they a bad bullpen? No. And that's the point, that in the playoffs, they were locked down. And their responsibility was limited, which exactly. it gave them a chance to be better when the response. You know, imagine if they're being asked, if that bullpen was being asked to do what, what these bullpens are getting asked to do, exactly. they would have got knocked out of the yard. Also worth noting that, like I said, they hit well. And you know, even Anthony Rendon, who is, you know, never a top three third baseman in baseball per Jack McMullen, 1000 OPS in that postseason. I mean, he was spectacular, uh, you know, almost top three, if, if you will. <laughs> Eat shit. <laughs> all right. That's a good that's a that's a good way. to end. But I think the the summary of all this is not that the Nationals, even though they had a bad bullpen during the regular season, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can have a bad bullpen and win the World Series. I feel like there was a little bit of extra magic behind those Nationals and those bullpen arms did perform in the playoffs. Yeah. And just kind of piggybacking on Aram's point, even though he was just an asshole to me. Um <laughs> You were an asshole to Anthony Rendon. I was. Yeah. I was an asshole. I still will be an asshole to Anthony Rendon until he proves otherwise. Get well soon. Get well soon, Anthony. Um, listen, the the 2019 bullpen dynamic in the postseason and the 2021 bullpen dynamic in the postseason could not be more different, just like Aram was saying. Um, I I know everybody has talked about this in July or August when pitchers and hitters, for that matter, just started dropping like flies. Uh, but it's worth bringing up again, like this 2021 season, playing a full 162 and an entire postseason on the heels of 60 games, like <laughs> that's hard. So these these starting pitchers are just absolutely drained. So you're asking bullpens to do more and more. So instead of one guy going six each time he comes out, he might not have it in his system anymore after the longest year of their life playing baseball. I think that's fair uh, with um, so next question. Number six, this is a good one. And this is one, this is one from Javi who is a writer on our site. What's the single most rewatchable world series or playoff game? Can I start it? Yes. 10 years ago today, today or yesterday, I guess yesterday, my favorite call of all time. And we will see you. Tomorrow night, Cardinals, Rangers, 2011. That game still sits with me as I watched it live. That call, it, it almost made me cry when I saw it, and it makes me just tear up now. I just remember everything about that game. You go, Jack. No, 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 no. Y- all you. I've got three. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Go. Let's see if, let's see if we overlap recent, recent memory. I mean, this is my baseball viewing experience. Uh, and I actually can rank them three, two, one. Uh, my third most rewatchable game is 2017 game five. That was when the Astros won. What was it? 13, 12 in 10 innings uh, yeah, over the that, Dodgers. That was home run every pitch. It was Almost so sick. That's Every pitch. That, that's one of my favorites just because it was a stupid marathon and they ran out of breaks. They ran out of commercial breaks. So they just kept it there between the top of the 10th and the bottom of the 10th, which was just awesome. Uh, number two was the Mad Bum show in game seven at Kauffman Stadium. Um, that was 2014. I mean, Madison Bumgarner rolling out of the bullpen and just ripping off five was legend shit. Yeah. And then I got to take your number one. I'll take your number. All right, go ahead. Cause this is my, I mean, this, you know, the way Peter describes the chills and stuff, you know, this was something that uh, for for a lot of reasons was, was a really special world series to me was, was the Cubs uh, Cleveland Indians world series Yeah, for a couple of reasons. It was the last world series ever watched with my dad uh, before he passed away. And of course the historical context to it, I would never forget it. But the fact that I can think back on that and remember watching it with my dad, he was visiting me as a freshman in Syracuse. We were watching it in the hotel and I was like, we're just like, what is going on? You know, just this level of when Rajay Davis hit that home run off of Chapman, which at that point, that's Chapman, that unhittable Chapman. And Rajay Davis was never that kind of guy. And he definitely wasn't that kind of guy at that point in his career. He chokes up like five inches on the bat. He's holding it like at the, at the barrel and just pokes it out of there. That was one of those situations where I would have bet my life on that not happening. And that's what makes it so special. And then you add, you know, the the personal component to it, that game. I honestly, when this, when baseball season's over, I'm going to go rewatch that game again, because to literally define what this answer is, I could watch that game endlessly. Jack and I watched that game in Del Plaine Hall at Syracuse University, just screaming. My dad's calling me, his dad's calling him. It, It was, it was, uh, it was nuts. It was a great game. I was just, I was ripping off FaceTimes to my friends from home left and right that, I mean, we're diehard Cubs fans. I respect the Cubs. I respect the work that they do. I would consider myself a, a, a very pedestrian Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I was, I was calling my friends who like, I knew would be crying at that point. And like, they answered the phones like crying, you know, it's just like, this is awesome. This is such a unique uh, environment and a unique uh, chance to, to take baseball in. Right. And that this is the only sport I'll stand by this till the day I die. And this is why I love this sport so much. That is the only sport that can invoke that type of emotion. Oh yeah. You have 40 million people tuning into that. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. Not quite the Super Bowl, but like very close, pretty darn close. And the Super Bowl is, you know, a world event. All right. Next question. Number seven. What do the Braves do with the outfield after this season? Quite frankly, I have no idea. They have Ronald Acuna Jr., Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Heredia, and then they do have Ozuna with his issues if he ever ever comes back. And this was asked by Nathan.gamer.13 on Instagram. They have about seven or eight outfielders to choose from. It seems like a good problem to have. And I'm sure that we could say, oh, you just keep the three best. You know, you keep Ronald Acuna. You keep, I guess, that Eddie Rosario out of all of them. Jock Peterson, Duvall, Soler. They're all doing well. Is the question, which three would you keep? Or do you just keep rolling with, we're going to slot in five and we're going to plug and play outfielders. Well, you know, some of it will kind of take care of itself. They're, they're all going to be free agents, essentially. Uh, Duvall has a mutual option, if I'm not mistaken, which I would assume after leading the league in homers will probably decline. The mutual option should be for $7 million, I believe. Yeah. Peterson will be the only guy. Peterson also has a mutual option. At 10. At 10 which maybe he picks up, but I think after what he showed in this offseason or in this postseason, he'll probably decline it. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that's important to Jock Peterson is an everyday role, but I will say, I mean, he just wrote that thing in the Players' Tribune about, you know, to Atlanta, and, and you can tell that he, he really enjoys it there. 
the fan base is, is really held on to him. I could see Jock being one of the main guys that ends up staying. Uh, Duvall obviously has the ties there, haven't been there before, but I just don't know if he's as, as much of a necessity for them. I think Jock has really shown that he can be a great fit for this team out there. But I, I would personally let Rosario walk. I think you're paying a premium for a postseason that, you know, right now, if I'm going to get super nerdy about his swing, uh, he has a lot of moving parts. And right now they're all timed up perfectly. Uh, I can promise you he could have a good year next year. He's obviously not nearly going to put up the numbers he is right now. You're going to pay for what he's doing right now. And I just don't think that's worth it for them. I would keep Peterson and I would keep Duvall if the price is right. And, and, you know, Ozuna can, can kick rocks. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. I do like the idea of retaining Jack Peterson. 10 million bucks is a lot of money. Um, Ozuna, I, he should never play another game in, in Major League Baseball, um, let alone with the Braves. I don't think Alex Anthopoulos wants to hold on to Marcelo Ozuna one bit. They're quite fine without him, right? I think at this point, I think at this point, I don't even know if his name should be in discussions when you're even talking about the offseason. I would just pretend he's not there. He also sucked before he got, you know, before he got arrested and stuff or whatever. Like he wasn't good. He he was having a terrible year uh, up to that point. So really good COVID year. Yeah. Yeah. He had a good COVID year. And you got, you're going to get, that kind of production at this point with better defense. I mean, Ozuna can't even throw. You'd get that kind of production from Adam Duvall anyways, but yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jack. No, I agree. Somebody's going to overpay for Eddie Rosario. You don't have yep. to be the team that does it. Um, so if they hold on to Jack Duvall, um, is Solaire unrestricted after this year? Yes. Yeah. So let you, him walk. You let him walk. Um, Heredia is still under your control. You have a Fourth couple of years of control. Yeah, he can be the fourth outfielder, um, Acuna, obviously. And keep in mind, Aram, I know you don't like him, but Christian Pache is still here. Great trade piece. Great trade piece. Okay, but let him be that fourth or fifth outfielder off the jump and uh, trade him for an MLB-ready outfielder and another prospect. I think he can get you that. Um, you know, if you if you were to go get not Billy McKinney, but a Billy McKinney type like that type of producer that you can stick in all three outfield spots um, that would be cheap. And then you can go get another, you know, 10 to 20 prospect in whatever system for Pache do it. Right. So I, I think that's the best plan of attack there. And the crazy thing with the outfield situation is, you know, you hear all the time. I mean, imagine where the Braves would be if they also had a Cunha in this series. Right. But if they had a Cunha in this series, they wouldn't have made all these deals for these outfielders and they wouldn't even, who knows if they'd be here with Acuna. Yeah. So it's crazy to say, it, but you, have, you don't know. It's like a weird problem to have because do you say, okay, we'll go back to the old equation where we have Ronald Acuna Jr. And then we'll figure out two other outfielders. What if I told you four outfielders made this third best player in baseball obsolete? <laughs> oh, I, was, I was sitting with my roommate too. And he was like, um, I think Eddie Rosario, it, it was it was all down the line. They all had a hit or like a home run or something. It was like, he asked me, do you think Ronald Cooney Jr. could have five home runs in game one already? Or something <laughs> like that. It was just like that type of production that you got from all those outfielders is probably why you're here now. Yeah. yeah so I mean, tough. Yeah, but think about how good a baseball player he is. It took four yeah. guys to replace one. <laughs> It was, it was the Giants approach, really. You know, you get yeah. to mix and match, like I say, and, and I love that. I think it worked out really well. And, and a, an underrated part of it, too, uh, that kind of came out from all this was that Ozzie Albies gets moved up to the leadoff spot, and he flourished there. Oh, so yeah. you also got a big bump in Albies, which you know, we're not trying to paint the injury to Acuna as a good thing. Yeah, not but, at all. You know, that's a top player in baseball. But there were some net positives that I think some things that the Braves found out about themselves that they wouldn't have found out without the injury, like one, that they could go get a couple pieces that would actually fit like perfect puzzle pieces for them. And two, that Ozzy Albies would flourish more in the leadoff spot. So it's those little things that actually help take them to the next level. Now they know those things that they know. Uh, they can proceed as, as, as they wish. And you know, maybe we'll see Albies more in the leadoff spot and Acuna goes more to the two hole. Uh, who knows how that'll go. But I think that there was an opportunity to kind of see who could step up and the Braves found out some things about some of their guys that maybe they wouldn't have found out otherwise. And regardless, I think all of us are in the same boat that come next year, come 2022, 
the Braves are a team to be reckoned with. They're, They're going problem. to be really good. I don't and expect them to be quiet either. We haven't even mentioned they're getting Mike Soroka back. And Mike Soroka is a real pitcher in this league. I mean, you add him then, Huascar Yanoa, no bench punching this year. Max Freed, Ian Anderson, that's real. Soroka, Charlie Morton, that's real. And I'm sure they'll go do something. They will probably go do something because Alex Anthopoulos is a genius. Right? Pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. And this is the last question, and it's a good one to end on. Which stadium would you most rather watch a game seven at? Asked by Aiden.penner on Instagram. Jack, start with you. Would you rather at Truist or Minute Maid? Truist, because it's outside. <laughs> it, it is outside. Unfortunately, we're only going to get game seven if it happens. And at Minute, Maid. Minute Made because that's just how the two three two system works. Yeah. Minute Made is uh, it's the juice box. It's also a great place to watch a baseball game. I've heard. I haven't been yet, but it's near the top of my list because I've heard the experience there is just awesome. Uh, and you've got all these little niche things about Minute Maid, right? I wish they still had Tal's Hill out in center field, but they don't. No, um, I'm pro Tal's Hill. Are you anti? Yeah. You're pro a uh, just random <laughs> obstruction in the middle of the field. Like I think I, so. th- that's ridiculous. Oh, in this field, we're just going to put a giant <laughs> hill. Uh, it felt just a like little a bit like backyard baseball. Yeah. Imagine you have a football field and you just put like a mound, <laughs> a mound. in the middle there. Like, oh yeah, run the 30 yard line. Just deal with it. <laughs> well, they were very close to doing that in Oakland <laughs> for a long yeah, time. Close to doing that in Oakland. Um, I've been to both, uh, and Truist is actually so cool for a lot of reasons. You know, Minute Maid was awesome. I, I thought it was a cool environment. It was a, a very unique stadium. The train is cool. The way it feels is pretty cool. I really enjoyed Truist because it's in the suburbs, which I know a lot of people didn't love about putting it there, but what it allowed them to do is that the whole area around it is like baseballville. They have bars that are just brand new and so cool to watch the game. They have this huge, just concourse where you could get there five hours before the game and you got plenty to do. There's baseball themed stores down the whole street. It's just this utopian, uh, just so new, clean, fun, baseball oriented, almost theme park that is around the stadium. And then the stadium itself is brand new and nice. I had a blast at Truist and uh, it's, it's one of my favorites at this point because of how new it is. And um, I, I would love to see a game seven there because the environment before and the outside aspect of it, it is so cool. What about you? I've, I've unfortunately haven't been either, but I could just base it off of what I would love to see if it was a, an ideal situation for me personally. Oh, he wants Braves. to see Astros fans miserable at home. Oh, no, 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 no. I just want to see the Braves win it in Atlanta. It's not that complicated of a take. The Astros are in the World Series. They, they 2017, 2019, they're back at it again. They've been at LCS every single year. The Braves haven't made the World Series in such a long time. If they were to win it through the Ronald Cooney Jr. injury in Atlanta, that's, that's my call. I mean, how can you have any other choice? But that? I vilified you a little bit there. That wasn't very nice of me. I thought you'd have some. No, I wasn't very nice of me. I I vilified you. I thought you'd have some vindictive take. Like I want to see the Astros' tears at home in Minute Maid while they lose. See, I'm less. I'm less on anti Astros because me, me personally, I just don't feel the need to like them. As as an unbiased journalist or whatever we are here. You know, we we like to, we like to, you know, talk about the players and I do like a lot of their individual players, but in terms of just a team, what they did to my team, I just don't really like them. And I think it's fine, but I'm not going to take that out on winning world series on the fans because the fans don't necessarily deserve that. The fans have done nothing wrong. And I want Brantley to get a ring. I really do. I love Michael Brantley. I want Dusty to get a ring. Yeah. Eh. Um, couple of quick things before we go. Number one, if you liked the discussion about what the Braves should do with their outfield this postseason or this offseason, I think you're going to love our offseason content 
we've got some fun stuff planned much like that with a lot of teams so we're gonna go through all of these teams we're gonna be doing top tens the off season may be even better than the regular season in terms of our content because we gotta rank a lot of guys every free agent's going to the yankees every (laughs) single one they already went (laughs) you hear the yankees signed uh seager correa and story yeah that happened that happened in the fifth inning when it was already 15 to 14 (laughs) yes yes okay a lot of outlandish takes are going on right now um, and then one more thing, and then Peter, I'll let you do the outro and sign us off. Uh, 1997 NLDS Braves swept the Astros. Greg Maddox and John Smoltz both threw complete games in games one and three. Tom Glavin threw six innings in game two. Those were starters doing damage in a sweep over Houston. That's from MLB Vault. Then what Hello. happened? So, what did you say? They said then what happened in 97? Do you know? I think the Marlins did something. The Marlins. The Marlins won the World Series. I remember it as clear as day. Yeah, you were born in July. Yet. They won it a couple months later. Uh, but, and before, before we hop off, I've been seeing some hate against Joe Buck and John Smoltz in the booth. They're great. I've been loving what they've been doing. Smoltz, is, John Smoltz, Smoltz is hot and cold. Really? Yeah, he, it depends when you catch Smoltz. Sometimes Smoltz is just doesn't want to be there, and you can tell. I love I love Buck. I think Buck hate is, is so unjustified. Smoltz, he's great. Obviously, incredible mind. A guy that was a closer and a starter. Like, he, he has so much insight. Just every once in a while, he just sounds like a little get off my lawny. But I, I it doesn't it doesn't impact affects me enough. I enjoy him too. Yeah, I, I just his his analysis on pitching is so oh, fantastic. It's the way he can break down in at bat, it just it feels like it's coming from a baseball god in a way. Even hitting too. I mean, the yeah. way that he just dives into the mental side of of how an at bat goes. I love next it. level. Next level. So what I'm wearing right now is the just baseball postseason shirt from pillbox bat co you guys can get that on pillbox bat co or on our website on our instagram store as well as our instagram store use code fade jack you get 15 percent off thank yeah, you stop jack. smiling arm i see you <laughs> I, it wasn't my idea check go to our instagram store use code fade jack for all the just baseball merch you can find us on tiktok and instagram at just baseball fans that's Jack underscore McMullen 11. That's Arm Aiden, Arm Layton 8 on Twitter. I'm at PeterApple23. I'll be live on Twitch on Friday. We're going to give away some free merch. Of course, we got our Discord. And you can find this podcast as well on YouTube at Just Baseball Media. Search us up. If you don't like listening and you'd rather watch, go do that. But if you're listening on Apple Pods, if you could leave us a five-star review, tell us what you like. And if you don't like it, please don't leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Aram. That's Jack. Do you guys have anything left to say before we end it out? Kyle Wright, not Waskari Noah. You got Aram, it. anything from you? Uh, Braves in six still. Uh, that's it. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.